This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by The Weather Channel. The key to solving any mystery? Smart decisions based on the facts. In the case of the weather's effect on your well-being, turn to the Weather Channel app. It clues you in on how weather shapes your mood, health, and productivity with insights built on reliable forecast data to help you thrive. Because mystery belongs in true crime, not weather. Be a force of nature with the Weather Channel app. In this ad for the Mobile One brand, I have 30 seconds to remind you about your first time driving. Remember the feeling, the freedom, how the world felt bigger and smaller at the same time. Because you were in the driver's seat. The truth is driving never changed. You did. You got a job, a phone, and then a phone that was also a computer with emails that could find you anywhere. And then you were trapped. But here's the good news. It's never too late to break free. Mobile One. For the love of driving. Visit loveofdriving.us slash radio to learn more. Phil was doing his best to enjoy the party. It was New Year's Eve, after all, and he wanted to have a good time. The Hartman's house was full of people he knew and loved, all there to help bring in the start of 1998. But he couldn't help feeling on edge. The last party he and his wife Bryn attended together had been a disaster. Then again, tonight Bryn had planned the gathering. It was full of people she knew. She wouldn't dare cause a scene in front of her own friends. She saved that kind of behavior for when they were around Phil's colleagues. He suspected that she did it just to embarrass him. As midnight crept closer, Phil thought that a joint might help him calm his concerns. He wasn't much of a drinker, but smoking usually helped mellow him out. He knew Bryn didn't like him getting high, but tonight was a special occasion. As he was on his way outside to light up, Phil noticed Bryn talking to his colleague, actor Andy Dick. Like Bryn, Andy had struggled with addiction, so Phil assumed perhaps they were swapping stories about their recovery. But a few minutes later, Phil heard raised voices and someone banging on a door. Puzzled, he made his way back inside. He followed the noise towards the master bedroom. There, he found one of Bryn's friends beating on the door to the ensuite and yelling, begging Bryn to come out. Phil asked the friend what all the commotion was about. Exasperated, she turned to him and said, It's Bryn. She and Andy are in there doing coke. Phil's spirits sank. He didn't know how much more of this he could take. Something had to give. Hi, I'm Lainey Hobbs, and this is Crimes of Passion, a ParCast original. In the legal definition, a crime of passion is a violent crime that occurs in the throes of extreme emotion, leaving no time to reflect on the consequences. But in this show, we explore how passionate relationships sometimes lead us to criminal activity. 
how does a husband and wife become killer and victim or killer and co-conspirator? If there's a thin line between love and hate, what manipulates our relationships into deadly results? You can find episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Crimes of Passion for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Crimes of Passion in the search bar. At ParCast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help us. This week, we'll discuss Phil and Bryn Hartman's early relationship and married life. We'll also cover Phil's rise to fame and fortune on Saturday Night Live and why this exacerbated friction between the couple. Next week, we'll discuss the crime that shocked Hollywood. We'll follow the police investigation as they try to piece together just what happened between the seemingly happy couple. Born in Canada but raised in Southern California, Phil Hartman spent his formative years as a roadie and album cover designer for various musical acts in the 1970s. Phil's life alongside musicians brought him into close proximity with a lot of beautiful women. It seemed important that he had these kind of women around him. He once bragged to a friend that he had slept with a Playboy model. According to a CBS News profile on Phil, he felt overlooked in his large family, which might have been why he coupled up so readily as an adult. He said, I suppose I didn't get what I wanted out of my family life, so I started seeking love and attention elsewhere. He married young, wedding Gretchen Lewis in 1970. However, the marriage was brief and by 1972, the pair had split. With Gretchen, Phil was already displaying a lifelong propensity to fall quickly in and out of love. Kathy Constantine, a high school friend and one-time object of Phil's affection, reflected that it was perhaps his search for perfection that hampered his love life. She said Phil was, definitely looking for perfection, and that's why I don't think he could ever fully land anywhere with anybody. Kathy's observation gives us a little insight into the way Phil may have viewed relationships. He strove for perfection and often fell for beautiful women, but when he finally had them as a partner, he could see their flaws and lost interest. Following his divorce from Gretchen, Phil continued to pursue creative career options. He enjoyed his work as a graphic designer, but also loved performing. In 1976, he seized an opportunity to take the stage at a Groundlings improv show in Los Angeles. His impromptu performance was so impressive that he was asked to join the troupe. Thus began Phil's long climb up Hollywood's grueling ladder. Along the way, he met and married his second wife, Lisa Strain. Reflecting on their relationship, Lisa said she got a sense that Phil was two people. She said, he was the actor and entertainer, and then he was the recluse. Before I continue with the psychology, please note, 
I am not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but I have done a lot of research for the show. Though we are largely limited to Lisa's account of their relationship, it sounds like the pair exhibited traits of the demand withdrawal communication pattern. According to an article out of the University of Wisconsin-Madison, written by Lauren Papp, Christina DeCoros, and E. Mark Cummings, the demand withdrawal pattern is exemplified by one spouse attempting to raise an issue and their partner actively avoiding the issue. The results of the study showed that the demand withdrawal pattern predicated negative emotions and tactics during marital interactions, as well as lower levels of conflict resolution. Considering this, it's hardly surprising that Phil and Lisa's marriage lasted less than three years. Phil later revealed that he considered Lisa his true soulmate. Despite this devotion, Phil couldn't or wouldn't summon the strength to fight for his marriage. It seems he had once again lost interest. After several months of contentious separation, Phil told Lisa that they should have another go at being together. He wanted to have children, However, as before, Phil seemed apathetic about the relationship once they reconciled. His antisocial tendencies returned and their reunion only lasted a few weeks. 38-year-old Phil didn't have much time to dwell on his twice-failed relationship with Lisa. Soon after they split for the second time, he was introduced to a beautiful blonde woman named Bryn Omdahl. Bryn Omdahl, born Vicky Joe, arrived in Los Angeles in the early 1980s with dreams of a grand life, grander than the one she could have in her hometown of Thief River Falls, Minnesota. After dropping out of high school, Vicky had married Douglas Torfin, a telephone operator. Vicky soon set out to Minneapolis to pursue a career in modeling. Tall and blonde, Vicky's sun-kissed looks gave off a beachside vibe. This helped her land swimsuit modeling jobs when she moved to Los Angeles. She intended to pursue acting work, but for now, her beauty paid the bills. With her change of scenery, Vicky Jo felt that a change of name was also fitting. She became Brynden, which she later shortened to Bryn. Despite her efforts to reinvent herself, not everything in Bryn's life went according to plan. During these early years in California, she began using cocaine, a not uncommon occurrence in the 1980s fashion industry. However, as she struggled to find steady work, Bryn's cocaine and alcohol intake grew to problematic levels. She eventually checked into an addiction treatment center to help her kick the drug habit. However, it wasn't just drugs Bryn struggled with after moving to Los Angeles. She may have been a sought-after beauty in Minnesota, but Bryn found out that Hollywood was a completely different world. Not only was it difficult for her to find regular work, it was also difficult to meet men. In 1986, a recently divorced 28-year-old Bryn complained to a producer friend, Victor Dre, that there were no nice guys left in Los Angeles. At the time, Victor happened to be working with Phil Hartman on a script and thought the two would be a great match, he set them up on a blind date. Though he was still hurting after his breakup with ex-wife Lisa, Phil was immediately taken with Bryn. As Mike Thomas writes in Phil's biography, you might remember me. 
The attention from and affections of a statuesque blonde would have gone a long way toward bolstering Phil's deflated self-image. Bryn seemed to flourish under an adoring gaze. According to friends, the attention she received from Phil was exactly what she craved from a partner. It seemed the pair were perfect for each other, on the surface at least. Phil had already displayed a habit of moving quickly into relationships with beautiful women, and Bryn was no exception. Perhaps eager for a win after his failed attempts with Lisa, Phil began introducing Bryn to the people in his life, but not everyone was impressed with the match. Phil's earlier girlfriends and wives were often fun-loving and silly in a way that matched his own public persona. In contrast, Phil's relationship with Bryn displayed a volatile quality from the start. They cycled through emotional fights and breakups, but always reconciled in the end. Once, Phil's friend, Ed Beckley Jr., invited Phil and Bryn to spend the day at his home in Ojai, an hour north of Los Angeles. Ed and his wife expected their friends to arrive at noon for lunch, but lunch came and went with no signs of the couple. As the hours ticked by with no word from Phil, Ed and his wife accepted that they simply weren't coming and went on with their day. Around 9 p.m. that evening, Phil finally called. He explained that he and Bryn had become entangled in an explosive argument on the drive to Ojai. The fight was so bad that they had broken up again and Phil had to take Bryn back home. To Ed, it sounded like Phil was already at his wit's end and the relationship was only in its infancy. To the dismay of Ed and others, it didn't take long for the pair to reconcile, establishing a pattern of passionate arguments followed by loving reunions. Towards the end of 1986, however, it seemed like the relationship could be over for good. After a string of professional successes, Phil accepted an offer to join the cast of Saturday Night Live this meant moving to New York. He and Bryn were broken up when the offer came through, so she stayed behind in Los Angeles, watching his star rise from afar. Phil spent months agonizing over his breakup with Bryn. While he made his mark on the popular sketch comedy show, he also spent time deciding if he should give his relationship with Bryn another try. Just like with his ex-wife Lisa, he couldn't quite let go even when the relationship had already fallen apart. In early 1987, he made his decision. He loved Bryn and wanted to be with her. During a break in filming SNL, he flew back to LA and met with her. When Phil returned to New York for the next season, Bryn and her suitcases were with him. The couple were not only newly reconciled, they were moving in together. Phil and Bryn's relationship ramps up after this. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. 
In this ad for the Mobile One brand, I have 30 seconds to remind you about your first time driving. Remember the feeling, the freedom, how the world felt bigger and smaller at the same time? Because you were in the driver's seat. The truth is driving never changed. You did. You got a job, a phone, and then a phone that was also a computer with emails that could find you anywhere, and then you were trapped. But here's the good news. It's never too late to break free. Mobile One, for the love of driving. Visit loveofdriving.us slash radio to learn more. Now, back to the story. In early 1987, after a constant cycle of breaking up and reconciling, Phil and Bryn Hartman finally committed to each other and their relationship. Bryn moved across the country to join Phil in New York City, where he worked on Saturday Night Live. Not long after she arrived in New York, Bryn found work in office administration and enrolled in acting classes. Though her career as a performer hadn't yet taken off, Bryn's ambitions for stardom hadn't faltered. For his part, Phil seemed to be doing all he could to help Bryn get her start in the business. When filming a short clip for the SNL opening credits, Phil was seen talking to a woman in a restaurant booth. He made sure the role of his on-screen partner went to Bryn. According to people on set on the day of filming, Bryn had to be reminded not to turn and look at the camera. Much to her chagrin, all that was seen of her in the final shot was the back of her head. Though she struggled to break into show business, Bryn's relationship with Phil seemed to be on a good path. Phil was incredibly open with Bryn about his feelings. In a letter to her, he gushed, I'm in love with you. I feel like the luckiest man alive that you've chosen me as a mate. And it seemed that Phil was finally ready to declare his love for the whole world to hear. Just before Halloween in 1987, Phil shared a secret with longtime friend Cassandra Peterson. He was going to propose to Bryn. But when he showed her the diamond ring, her reaction was swift and blunt. Oh God, no. Phil was furious. He had thought his friend would be excited for him. And not only was that not the case, she didn't even have the decency to pretend to be happy. He shook as Cassandra told him that he should wait a little longer. But Phil didn't want to wait. He'd finally found love again after two failed marriages, and the thought of letting Bryn slip away was terrifying. He looked at Cassandra with cold eyes and uttered two words, get out. Cassandra tried to apologize for what she had said, but Phil wasn't interested in hearing any of it. She reluctantly left the room. The two friends didn't speak for years. Cassandra had revealed to Phil how she and many of his friends felt about Bryn. Many strongly believed that the couple were not a good match. According to Cassandra, Phil could be summed up in one word, authentic. Her word for Bryn, phony. She thought that he should at least give himself more time to get to know Bryn before committing. She had seen him repeat the same mistake many times. He would fall hard and fast for a beautiful woman before declaring her the only woman for him. But after two failed marriages, Cassandra felt it was time to speak up. Someone had to. What Phil's friends and co-stars didn't yet know was that Bryn was already two months pregnant. 
It's unclear if the pregnancy was planned, but raised as a Catholic, Phil may have felt compelled to wed sooner rather than later. The day before Thanksgiving in 1987, just weeks after he proposed, Phil and Bryn married in a small ceremony surrounded by a few friends. In June of that following year, Bryn gave birth to a son, Sean. Both parents were besotted with their new boy and excitedly shared their news with those closest to them. One of the first phone calls Phil made was to his ex-wife, Lisa Strain. Delighted by the announcement, Lisa sent a card congratulating the new parents and welcoming their son into the world. She even offered to babysit if the new parents ever needed a break. The response she got to the card caught her completely by surprise. Bryn sent a four-page bile-filled letter. In the missive, she warned Lisa to stay away from Phil and their child. Bryn threatened to harm Lisa if the pair ever met. Here, Bryn was displaying jealousy simmering just below the surface. Writing for the Los Angeles Times, evolutionary psychologist David M. Buss of the University of Texas presented research on the jealous fantasies of 5,000 people. 84% of the women surveyed admitted to fantasizing about murder. An overwhelming majority of those fantasies involved killing sexual rivals. Fearful for Phil's safety, Lisa called to tell him about the letter. To her shock, Phil knew exactly what Bryn had written. In fact, he felt at fault for the sentiment. He revealed to Lisa that when Bryn asked him if he felt they were soulmates, he had said no. To Bryn's outrage, he had calmly told his wife that Lisa was his true soulmate. Therefore, Phil seemed to think it was understandable then that Bryn felt threatened by Lisa's card. Seemingly undisturbed by Bryn's behavior, he tried to joke with Lisa. The letter she received was tame compared to what Bryn had wanted to send. Unable to make Phil see that his wife was a source for concern, Lisa hung up. She was shaken by what she now knew and anxious to stay away from the new Mrs. Hartman. Phil's packed schedule as an SNL writer and performer meant that Bryn was left alone to deal with the day-to-day -day care of a new baby. As Phil's work garnered him more and more attention, Bryn found herself stuck frustratingly on the sidelines. It seemed her destiny was to remain just outside the warm glow of the spotlight. As another Saturday rolled around, Bryn and Phil were supposed to spend the morning together but he'd been at rehearsal late the night before and was still asleep when Bryn got up. Baby Sean was awake after just a few hours of sleep. Bryn herself had only managed a couple of hours here and there between feedings. She was exhausted. It wasn't too long before Phil got up. Bryn smiled as she watched her two boys. It was so rare that the three of them were able to spend time together as a family. But the moment felt fleeting Phil had to be back on set in a couple of hours. Before she knew it, Bryn was left in their apartment with their young son, alone again. Though things were going well for him at SNL, Phil longed for a simpler life away from New York City. He told friends that he wanted to spend more time with his family. 
To him, the best place to do that was in California. In August of 1989, Phil and Bryn purchased a $1.6 million home in the Encino area of Los Angeles' San Fernando Valley. Though he clearly loved to spend time there with his family, Phil's career kept them in New York City. To Bryn's displeasure, Phil's work schedule continued to keep him away from his family, and their time apart was only set to grow as Phil's career picked up momentum. In June of the following year, Phil recorded his first episode of the then-fledgling animated show, The Simpsons. He played ambulance-chasing lawyer, Lionel Hutz. The producers loved his work, and this was followed up by his most famous character, washed-up C-list actor, Troy McClure. In various episodes of The Simpsons, McClure was seen introducing infomercials or other television spots. The character was so popular with audiences and Phil so beloved by the show's writers that an entire episode was dedicated to McClure. Around the same time that Phil excelled in yet another creative outlet, Bryn was still struggling to find her own sense of identity. While Phil seemed to master everything he turned his attention to, design, comedy, voice work, she had never seemed to succeed at anything. It felt like Phil was outgrowing her, surpassing her in every way. O'Hara Hartman, Phil's niece, recalled Bryn's striking artistic talent. She suggested that Bren take art classes to hone her potential. But even in this field, Bryn felt inadequate compared to her husband. She sighed and responded, I'll never be like Phil. It was perhaps this feeling of inadequacy that pushed Bryn to insert herself in Phil's world. She wasn't going to let him leave her behind. Bryn often visited the SNL set or writer's room, turning heads as she did. She loved to wear bright colors and showed off her long legs. It was clear that Bryn loved to be noticed. On one occasion, Bryn moved around the writer's room, sitting in laps and acting flirtatious with Phil's male colleagues. But Phil didn't seem to care. In fact, he laughed. He liked that his wife was the center of attention. It was at those times that Phil's co-star and Bryn's friend, Julia Sweeney, realized something about Phil. He quote, needed to be with a knockout. Sweeney equated having a beautiful woman on his arm with landing a new role on SNL. Both were marks of a successful man. But that particular knife cut both ways. Julia also noticed that Bryn needed a man who looked at her like he was head over heels in love with her at all times. If she couldn't have the whole world paying her attention, she would at least settle for that from the man she loved. In short, both Phil and Bryn got something they craved from the relationship. Taking Phil's romantic history into account, as well as his career ambitions, it could be that Phil was a maximizer. According to research appearing in Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin, a maximizer is someone who always seeks to make the very best choice for themselves. This can also result in individuals who are constantly evaluating their spouses. According to the study's lead author, Juliana French from Florida State University, 
Continued comparisons can lead to overall lower satisfaction in Maximizer's long-term relationship. For now though, Phil still seems satisfied with Bryn as his wife. He felt lucky to love and be loved by her. At any rate, the couple were excited to grow their family and in 1991, Bryn became pregnant for a second time. <laughs> On February 8, 1992, SNL guest host Susan Day announced the birth of Phil and Bryn's daughter, Bergen, at the end of that night's show. Phil had been present for the birth that afternoon, but then had to go back to work. Once again, his family took a back seat to his job and before long, tensions would boil over. Just a few months after Bergen's birth, Bryn showed up at the SNL set. Perhaps Phil hadn't been at home enough to help with the baby, and Bryn had had enough. Arriving shortly before the show aired, she confronted Phil in the hallway outside the studio, and the two had a heated argument. Minutes before showtime, Phil sat down for a makeup check and told his makeup artist, that he'd only just managed to stave off a seemingly inevitable divorce. Though he had initially enjoyed showing off his wife, Bryn's appearances on set began to be less fun for Phil. In fact, they seemed designed to throw him off his game. His wife would frequently call him on the phone or appear on set to berate him for his long hours away from her and the kids. In addition to being the mother to two young children, Bryn's jealousy of Phil's television career was a likely source of great stress for her. While she remained at home, raising their son and daughter, Phil had the things she wanted for herself. It wasn't fair. Phil's lawyer would later reveal that Bryn got attention by losing her temper. It seems that if her husband wouldn't pay attention to her at home, she would force him to notice her at work. A long way now from his private declarations of undying love to Bryn, Phil began to talk to his colleagues about the possibility of his third marriage ending. Chris Bronk recalled Phil joking about losing half of his assets in a divorce. This, he moaned, would force him to remain on SNL for another three years, a prospect he didn't relish. It seemed Phil was now locked into two situations he no longer enjoyed, and in his mind, Escape from both was mutually exclusive. Phil and Bryn had become used to his large paychecks, and the thought of losing half of that money in a divorce must have given Phil pause. His tastes, like his bank account, had expanded. By 1993, Phil was earning around $30,000 per week working at SNL and had been bringing home substantial paychecks doing commercial and voiceover work for several years. Rather than invest in his family's future, Phil had started to indulge in grown-up toys for himself. His collection included several luxury cars and two boats, the latter he used to make frequent fishing trips to Catalina Island off the Southern California coast. These toys were a source of great amusement for Phil, but this only meant more time away from his young family. According to biographer Mike Thomas, Phil only took Bryn and his children with him to Catalina once. Phil may have been spending more and more time away from home to escape an ever-deteriorating relationship with Bryn. 
It's also entirely possible that the relationship was beginning to show cracks because Phil was hardly ever around. Though everyone close to him knew he loved his family, his actions seemed to contradict that. We know that Phil had grand ambitions for his career, and his absence from the home may have been symptomatic of his desire to reach for loftier goals. Though he loved his children dearly, he may have felt held back by his relationship with Bryn, a relationship that was deteriorating with every passing year. In August of 1993, while Phil was filming a role in the comedy Greedy, he called friend and co-star Ed Begley Jr. He told Ed that he and Bryn had had a bad fight again and that they had broken up again. The cause for the fight is unclear, but it's possible that Phil filming a movie during the SNL off-season instead of spending time with his family aggravated Bryn. Phil asked if he could stay in Ed's spare room. Ed readily agreed and told Phil to come once they were done shooting for the day. But Phil never showed up. Despite what had sounded like a final break between Phil and Bryn, Ed assumed they had once again made up. After all, he had experience with this kind of episode before, so it didn't strike him as unusual. Ed Begley Jr. wasn't Phil's only friend who knew that his marriage was in trouble. Unbeknownst to Bryn, Phil had stayed in contact with his ex-wife, Lisa. Phil often complained about Bryn's frequent temper tantrums over things as uncontrollable as fan mail. These physical reminders of her husband's success made Bryn furious. Lisa remembered the frightening threats in Bryn's letter years earlier and was shocked to learn that Bryn owned a gun. Phil seemed unfazed by Bryn having a gun. In fact, he encouraged it. He himself was a fan of firearms and kept several in the house. And Bryn was often at home by herself with the kids. It made sense to him that she had a way of protecting herself. What did concern Phil, however, were his wife's cosmetic surgeries. He worried that she was having too much work done. Bryn's own friends remember a somewhat naive obsession with her looks. When she had first moved to Los Angeles, she had undergone fairly simple procedures like face peels. Now, as she grew older, she had more invasive work done, including on her face and breasts. As a former model, Bryn's preoccupation with her looks is entirely understandable, but her insecurities may have been more to do with her husband. According to the couple's former nanny, it was Phil who encouraged Bryn's procedures. He felt her face was too round and her chin should be more square. It's entirely possible that Bryn had cosmetic surgery in an effort to be the picture-perfect wife for her Hollywood husband. Despite whatever insecurities she felt about her looks, Bryn had a lot to be proud of. She was an engaged and doting mother to her two children. She recorded milestones in a journal, planned birthday parties, and even volunteered at their school library. On top of this, Bryn's friends knew they could always turn to her if they needed a place to bring their troubles. Ironically, though she seemed determined to ensure her friends felt seen and heard, Bryn herself struggled to gain the attention she so craved from her husband. At one stage, 
Frustrated by Phil's lack of attention to her and the children, Bryn confided in a friend that she had been contemplating divorce. At the end of 1994, Phil finally left SNL. He relished being able to live and work in Los Angeles full-time again. It was, he felt, a better place to raise a family. However, this change didn't seem to increase the amount of time Phil spent with Bryn. He was still working long hours just on a different TV show and spent much of his free time indulging his hobbies or making trips to Catalina Island with friend Britt Marin. It was these trips that sent Bryn into a jealous tailspin. Up next, Bryn Hartman has her husband followed. Now, back to the story. In early 1997, 38-year-old Bryn Hartman began to suspect that her husband, Phil, might be cheating on her. As proof, she looked to his disinterest in their marriage counseling sessions, which she sometimes attended alone, and the declining state of their sex life. Around this time, she reportedly hired a private investigator to follow Phil on his trips to Catalina Island. It seems she suspected that her husband and one of his male friends, Britt Marin, were having an affair. But by all accounts, Brent's suspicions never amounted to anything more than that. That didn't curb her jealousy though. Phil openly talked on late night television interviews about being unable to cheat on Brynn because she was so suspicious. Those close to Phil suggest that he never cheated on his wife because he was too good, but to the world, Phil seemed keen to say it was because he would get caught. It's possible that Phil never had any intention of cheating on Bryn and that his comments about staying faithful because he didn't want to be caught were just bravado, part of his funny guy act. But it was clearly enough to give Bryn pause. She may have felt like there was an element of truth to Phil's jokes. This worry, combined with Bryn's feelings of abandonment, were enough to drive a slow-burning jealousy. Throughout their marriage, Bryn had had to contend with several different incarnations of her jealousy. First, her husband's career. His path as a performer and artist was everything Bryn had been unable to achieve for herself. This career frequently thrust him into romantic situations with other women, and finally, even when Phil wasn't working, he opted to spend time with friends or his hobbies instead of with her. In an article for the Los Angeles Times, Dr. David M. Buss points out that many people view jealousy as a moral failing or neurosis. However, his research shows that jealousy is a natural chemical reaction in the brain. The way different people respond to jealousy manifests in various ways, but the experience is usually the same. It was perhaps Bryn's jealousy that nudged her off the wagon. In 1997, she called her sister Kathy and tearfully admitted that she had slipped. She had started using cocaine again. In the lead up to the slip, she had been socially drinking from time to time. In the coming months, Bryn continued to slip on one occasion, she returned from an all-night bender to Phil in a towering rage. He insisted on two things, 
that she see her psychologist immediately and that she check herself into rehab. She left for treatment the very next day. It seemed Bryn's addiction struggles were enough to grab Phil's attention for now. Bryn's stay at rehab didn't last long though. She claimed to miss her children too much to stay at the clinic. After she returned home, her addiction continued to wreak havoc on the Hartman's lives. Phil had shared his woes with some select co-stars on his new show, News Radio, but to the world was putting on a happy face. At the time, Phil's co-star, Vicki Lewis, was also in a relationship with an addict, actor Nick Nolte. According to Vicky, Phil would come into work looking disheveled and exhausted because he had spent the night on his boat rather than at home with Bryn. Once, he showed up to set with scratch marks on his face, presumably a relic from a confrontation with Bryn. Only Vicky knew the truth about the marks, however. He would ask her, how do you do this? But just like Phil, she didn't have an answer. At his wit's end, Phil told his mother that if Bryn didn't stop using, he was going to take the children and leave. He didn't care if she kept everything else. He was hell-bent on protecting their kids. But like years earlier, Phil seemed incapable of leaving the marriage, even when their private issues were exposed. At the end of 1997, Phil and Bryn hosted a New Year's Eve celebration at their Encino home. Surrounded by family and friends, it was a chance for the couple to ring in the new year. There was perhaps a pervading hope that 1998 could be the fresh start both Hartman seemed to long for. It wasn't to be. Among the guests was Phil's news radio co-star, Andy Dick. Like Bryn, Andy had struggled with substance abuse just in a much more public sphere. That night, Bryn approached Andy and asked if he had any cocaine. Bryn's friends saw her lock herself and Andy in a bathroom. Neither emerged for some time, even after people banged on the door demanding to be let in. Needless to say, 1998 didn't bring peace to Phil and Bryn's relationship. Though there were moments of carefree joy, like performing a karaoke duet of Love Shack at a friend's birthday party. There were also moments of awkward tension. One night, while out to dinner with friends, Phil claimed to be a great listener. Bryn fixed him with a pointed stare and said, no, you're not. In a desperate grasp to pull herself out of her unhappiness, Bryn started taking Zoloft in April of 1998. She had been given a starter kit for the drug by her son's physician, who was not a psychiatrist. It's unclear if Bryn was mixing her use of the antidepressant with her returned cocaine habit and alcohol intake. If she was, that could be why the drug, which was supposed to help her, seemed only to make Bryn's woes increase. Her apparent side effects of the drug included sleeplessness, diarrhea, nausea, and agitation, she stopped taking Zoloft on the advice of her doctor following a medical procedure. After a month off of it, she was then advised to resume the medication, but at half dose. In the meantime, Bryn and Phil's fights only grew more contentious. When Bryn showed her frustration and outrage, 
Phil responded with passivity. When Phil didn't want to argue anymore, he would simply go to bed, sometimes pretending to fall asleep just to end the fight. This aloofness further antagonized Bryn. Why didn't he care more? Each of them had their drug of choice, which only served to intensify their natural reaction to conflict. Bryn's use of cocaine amped her up, while Phil smoked marijuana to become even more relaxed. According to friends, Phil believed that if Bryn gave rehab another try, it might fix the issues in their marriage. In May of 1998, Bryn was set to check in for treatment at a high-end facility. However, she aborted the plan when there was no room for her. After some 10 years of marriage, it was clear that something had to give. What no one could predict was when and how things would come crashing down. But with Bryn on Zoloft and failing to get treatment for her addiction, and Phil actively avoiding the issues in their marriage, the stage was set for complete disaster. Thanks again for tuning in to Crimes of Passion. We will be back Wednesday with part two of Bryn and Phil Hartman's story. When their marital tension finally came to a head, it exploded in violence that shocked Hollywood. For more information on Phil Hartman, among the many sources we used, we found You Might Remember Me by Mike Thomas especially helpful to our research. You can find more episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals like Crimes of Passion for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Crimes of Passion on Spotify, just open the app and type Crimes of Passion in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. We'll see you next time when true love meets true crime. Crimes of Passion was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Trent Williamson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Isabella Way, and Joel Stein. This episode of Crimes of Passion was written by Joel Callen, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. I'm Lainey Hobbs. <laughs>